Welcome to the Geek to Geek podcast, where we actually recorded on schedule two times in a row. Yay us, go us. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beach. I'm so proud of us. We I'm did proud it. of us, too. It's been a weird year. Um, Today, we're talking about Metroid Dread, because it's one of the only things that I did in the last couple of weeks, because I've been working too much. But I found some yes. time for Metroid Dread, so I wanted to talk about it. And I'm really excited to hear about this, because I've always loved Metroid, and Dread is one of those that, since I haven't been playing video games, I haven't wanted to drop the $60 on it, even though I know that this game is definitely worth it. Like, this is a AAA game. This is not like a $40 Nintendo uh, 3DS uh, remake like Samus Returns was. Uh, this is something I really, really uh, want to play, so I'm excited to to hear about it from you, uh, because I know you like these kinds of games a lot. I do. And like Metroidvania in general, the genre, it's kind of hit and miss for me. But when it hits, it really hits. And I play through the whole right. game and I love it. And this one absolutely resonated with me. And it's like what I immediately picked up on getting into Metroid Dread is that this truly is like Metroid 5. So and they've said yeah. that, right? It's part of that main sequence of 2D Metroid games that started with the original Metroid in 1985. And then it was um, Metroid 2, which is Game Boy, if I'm remembering correctly. Yep. And then uh, Metroid 3 is actually Super Metroid. So that's like the most well-known one that was on Super Nintendo. It's still a fantastic game, even though the controls haven't aged super well, but the game itself right. is really solid. And then uh, Metroid Fusion, which was Game Boy so where i'm coming to metroid from um just so people know and can kind of like you know triangulate based on that is i have played a little bit of uh the original metroid and metroid 2 um and then i have beaten super metroid a handful of times like once when it originally came out and then once in you know more recently just because i wanted to go back and check it out again um and then metroid fusion i've beaten a couple times and metroid fusion was probably my favorite game in the series up to this point um it might be my favorite game boy advance game overall like it was one that was just truly brilliant especially when it first came out so this plays like an evolution of that mixed with super metroid put together it's like mash up those two and make it faster more responsive and with modern game design standards then you get metroid dread and so this is i'll just like jump to the end and spoil the fact that this isn't actually a spoiler this is just my opinion this is my favorite metroid game ever like okay out of the whole series um and you know prime is kind of a different thing the metroid prime series that never really resonated with me but even including those this is my favorite metroid game that there's ever been it's just fantastic start to finish the controls are so responsive samus moves quickly and like it it scratches the itch of all of the the Metroid things that you want it to, but it feels modern. It doesn't feel dated, right? Like, we haven't had a good Metroid game in... How many years has it been since Fusion came out? Like, 15, 20? 15 it's- to 20. Yeah, I mean, I was in college doing a play. I remember this. I was in college doing a play when the DS came out. So, that was a lot probably a good three years after it so yeah we're approaching 20 years on it because that was like 2005 ish so we're approaching 20 because we had fusion and then if i remember right zero mission came after it right so Um, yeah that was just a remake of an older one right yeah but it still came out after it in terms of uh yeah it was a remake of the first one i think actually that sounds correct Uh, and but it came out chronologically like for us like in you know the 2000s afterwards so it's been a good long time since uh fusion came out and 
I've been actually disappointed that what their focus has been focus has been on the the Prime series because they never resonated with me either. That I just yeah. never could get into them. Well, and this is a it's kind of a weird game to talk about because um I, I don't want to just fill the space with or you know fill the recording that we're talking about with things people already know. Like it's a Metroid game, right? We could dig into everything that means, but the Metroidvania genre, it's really like you have a big map, it's usually 2D, and you're trying to get from wherever you are to wherever the next upgrade is, whether that's a weapon or a new movement ability or just new ability in general. Um and then you there's a bunch of areas that are locked off that you can't they're not like hard locked off necessarily but you can't get to them for one reason or another and it's like well there's a tiny corridor that you don't fit into until you can turn into a ball because samus always ends up getting that upgrade and then she can turn to this little you know ball that can roll through it um Mm -hmm. and then you get a bomb and you can bomb different like blocks out of the way or you can charge up your beam and now you can get through doors that you had to have a charge beam to shoot open stuff like that right that's the basic flow of it and this is that just refined like the flow is fantastic like the pace that you get the weapons and get the abilities are all really good and it really feels like all of the metroid up like the the upgrades the abilities um the weapons it feels like almost all of them are in this game from everything from metroid 1 through metroid 4 like they all just kind of made the cut and they all made it into this game which is really cool to see them all kind of manifest together and can you like with this one like you said that they have updated everything to kind of modern standards have they made it so that you have to equip individual individual weapons like that, or do you have access to all of them at one time? No, you have access to all of them at one time. And a lot of them, um, kind of like other Metroid games, it'll overwrite a power you already have, right? So if you get a new right. like um, blaster shot, it's just like this one is better than the old one, and it's always better, so it just uses that one going forward. Okay, good. You know, it's that kind of thing. Or like missiles, I think there's actually like three or four different type of missiles that you get, but you basically, it just upgrades on top of the old one, and it just takes the place of the old one. So you never really have to equip anything it's just new abilities that you have access to now did you play the samus returns metroid on I didn't. 3ds no i never did because it was just a remake and everything i heard about it was that it was kind of hit and miss some people liked it mm-hmm. some people were like eh, not that great now i i liked it a lot because i really liked the uh, return of samus the original game boy game but i didn't like the i ended up bouncing off of it after a while i just didn't go back to it because i didn't like the free aiming in it it never felt really intuitive and so they had the traditional metroid controls which were great and then they tried to add on this like uh you stand in place and can you know free aim and shoot at everything and i know they've brought that into this one does it finally feel intuitive because the original iteration of it did not to me yeah it it works right um it's an adjustment it doesn't play exactly like other 2d games and if i had to pick one thing that was the biggest pain point even though i like the game i really like the game all throughout but if you made me pick like one pain point i had with the game it's probably that like it it makes some choices around the 2D uh, control scheme that it's going to go with, and it just makes you adapt to those. And I, there were times where I felt like, and this is me, I've been playing video games for 30 years at this point. I was like, 
why are my hands not hitting the right buttons like something just <laughs> felt yeah. felt like it wasn't mapped the way that intuitively i wanted it to be or you have to hold this bumper or this trigger and then hit a different button to charge a thing and then i would let go of the wrong one at the wrong time because you need to hold one and yep. hit the other and it's all stuff that i adapted to by the end of the game it was second nature but i will say there is a little bit of an extra hurdle there where it's just like it's not as intuitive as a kind of other more recent 2d metroidvania games um there's right. a little bit more of a learning curve but if rarely ever actually mattered in a moment where you have to execute it um in a timely manner like sometimes maybe during a boss fight but a lot of it it's like when you're in the open world when you're exploring you can just try it again or it's just like oh i hit the button wrong let me just like you know hit the button correctly and it's no big deal um so it wasn't actually a huge pain point but it is something that stuck out a little bit um, the other thing in this one is so like just talking about modern game, you know, sensibilities, the checkpointing in this game is just on point. It's fantastic. So, yeah, it's a that's mixture. what I was going to ask about. That was the I'm really curious about the save system in this and checkpointing, because yeah. that's always a problem in Metroidvania games that there's not really good checkpointing that you have to find all of these just kind of specifically placed save systems. So save, save points, rather. So it's a mixture of both, but it feels correct. Like once you get into the game, you're like, oh, I see what they're doing here this feels great um okay and there are checkpoints but it doesn't auto save your game it kind of auto saves if you're in the middle of your session so you actually still have to go find a save point to do like a hard save of your game where like you can shut the system off you can walk away whatever right right um but it's on the switch which you can just put to sleep so you also have that going for you where you can always just not save you just put it to sleep and come back and it'll be there when you you know come back to it um but they do have checkpointing where again it's not like a hard save it's like a soft save so if you die if you get knocked out or whatever you come back to that checkpoint and those checkpoints are um they they're in two main circumstances one is right before a boss encounter so if you're about to run into a boss it will save you right before you're committed to fighting that boss so you know there's a door you have to walk through there's something you have to slide down to get to him whatever right before you trigger the boss battle it will checkpoint you there and then when you die to the boss the first time because you're going to um you just start back right there and so you're literally like half a second away from triggering the boss or you can just turn around and walk back if you want to go back and explore or you know get some more abilities stuff like that gotcha um, in this one, are there levels like there are in Castlevania games generally now, where, or is it just based on on the upda- upgrades that you get? Um, it's kind of both. There's different sections that feel different. Um, I think there's there's like five or six main. Oh, ones. I mean like character levels, like oh, level no. one, two, three, like like a uh, uh, progress pro- uh, character progression system. Sorry, no, not at all. No, no actual like levels, no stats in the game. Um, I mean, you get better armor and it says you'll take less damage now. You get an energy tank and you right. have a bigger life gauge, stuff like that. But there's no like level one, level two, level three as your character progresses. Okay, cool. Like, um, that's one thing I both like and dislike about some of the Metroidvania games. Yeah, and that's fair. And the other thing with checkpointing is whenever you walk into or you're about to walk into um, or about to walk or you do walk out of. I don't know if that was clear. Basically, anytime you're entering or exiting an area that has an Emmy, which is their 
their new like thing for this game which i'll talk about that in a second but whenever you're about to walk into one or just walking out of one it will checkpoint you there too because that's the other time of the game where you're going to die the most is to these emmy robots so it's like e-m-m-i is like the emmy um and they're these robots that are essentially indestructible and so they give you sections of the map where there's an emmy patrolling this area of the map and it changes the pace of the game for a little bit when you go into these areas because you can't just defeat them. Like, you can't um, you can't just take them on right away. What you have to do is you have to navigate through their area without getting caught. And usually you have to go through an area a couple times to, like, get a new ability over here or get to a new area over there. And eventually, one of the times you go into it, you'll finally have enough things to get and access this like core um processor and Mm. if you go in and defeat that it's almost like a mini boss that you take on but if you defeat that you get this like super powerful charge beam weapon that will only work against the emmy and then you go and you take it on head on and you can take it out and so it's almost that like aliens feel of like you're being stalked by this thing that's like you know um unstoppable basically until finally you get something that powers you up enough that you can go take it on head on and then defeat it and then after you defeat the emmy that whole area becomes like unlocked and nothing is hunting you in it so then you can finally explore it so it's this cool kind of like cat and mouse tension sometimes it's annoying sometimes it's frustrating mostly it worked for me throughout the game i think i liked it overall and I've been curious about this because it's a 2D game. So in a 3D game, I could really understand, and, you know, you, you get the feeling of being stalked because that's kind of a thing that happens a lot in 3D games. And it's interesting for me to think about that coming from a 2D game, that you're being hunted through a level that you can see all of the 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 terrain and you have a map and everything but there's still this sense of dread there there's that sense of tension and so i think it's i'm gonna i'm really looking forward to seeing how that plays out in two dimensions yeah and it's um once you get into it you kind of realize that or i realized anyway that there's a couple different ways they approach it one is they give you some abilities that interact with the emmys so like you get an ability that makes you invisible and you can actually hide from them so if they like come walking near you like you could flip on your invisibility before they catch you in eyesight and you could like jump up and hang off the the top of the ceiling or you could like hide into a little crevice over here where they're not going to walk like you could go invisible after you get this ability and just avoid them um and then the other thing that is mostly what i ended up doing throughout the game is that you can just run you can just run fast and faster than them and they kind of have different modes they have like um you can see their cone of vision and so if it's blue they don't think that like you or anything is around if it's yellow they're kind of suspicious and they're like oh did i hear something did i detect something it's basically like they're starting to investigate you and if it's red it means that they got line of sight on you and they go into like hunting mode and they just charge at you and even if they get into that like red like charging at you mode um what you will quickly realize if you look for it in these emmy sections is that the designers have created a bunch of loops in there where you can break line of sight and kind of loop back around to where you were and get away from them essentially um and so that's how they do it where you know you can approach it where you're trying to move slow you're trying to move like steady and use invisibility and just like slowly make your way from one point to another Or you can do what I ended up doing and just like sprint from point A to point B and try to get there before they see you and before they ever trigger into red mode because they're like, oh, I'm suspicious because I hear running, but you just stay ahead of them the whole time. Now, with those, uh, you were talking about the charge beams and stuff like that. Are those Emmy specific, like for only one particular Emmy section and then you do it again for the next one? 
Yeah, you basically have to, it's like a two-phase thing. So you get it, and then you have to go and, like, um, melt their, like, protective face cover. And then right. you have to, like, charge up a huge shot, and then you hit them right in the eye with it, and it will take them out. And so the charge beam that you get from that process, that loop they've set up, it only lasts for one Emmy. And when you take that Emmy out, it fades. And so uh, okay. when you get to the next Emmy area, you kind of yeah. have to do that loop again. But it works overall. So that for some people to be frustrating um i think i got over it really quick because there was an emmy at one point that i just like something where i died a bunch of times in a row and after that it lost some of the tension for me in a good way where i was like oh it's no big deal to die to these because you checkpoint right before you walk into the area and then i just try it again um and as soon as i got in that mindset it was it was so much easier to deal with but yeah i had fun because they change up the feel of what you're doing in that space just for that limited amount of time um so that's kind of like the new hook they've added to this game which is important when it comes to a Metroidvania that one of the main reasons that I bounce off of them is repetitiveness that they, while they get harder and they're constantly adding new mechanics to it, a lot of the time, the same pacing kind of flows through all of them. That was actually my biggest problem with hollow Knight. that, uh, I'd never, uh, hollow Knight and Ori actually is both of them, they're really, really good, but I always felt like I was just kind of doing the same thing over and over again. And so I eventually just never went back. Yeah. And so this seems like something that would be very good for people like me. It gives you variety, too. You also seem to get the upgrades um, at a faster and faster clip as you move through this game. So there's something there where it feels like the first half of the game is almost like you're climbing up a hill slowly and like unlocking mm-hmm. new abilities and like oh finally i can do this thing finally i can do that thing um and then the second half of the game feels like you're coasting down a hill and it's just like oh new ability and then new ability and then new ability just like rapid right. fire and part of it that makes it um approachable is because these are all Metroid abilities that you'll recognize from other games. Be like, oh, right, I remember this. Like, you know, you can pick it up really quickly. But the other thing I want to talk about was boss fights in this game because it was a very interesting, like, progression for every boss fight, and the trajectory of it was kind of the same for each boss, even though each boss is completely different. Um, Have you heard anything in the general discourse about the boss fights in this game? No, I have done my best not to really engage with metroid dread because i've wanted to play it like i haven't wanted spoilers or anything which i'm I'm generally fine with i mean it's a metroid game but i really haven't paid that close of attention to what people are saying about it okay so i'm not gonna spoil just like i haven't really spoiled anything so far i'm just talking about mechanics but here's my experience with every boss in this game um without talking about any of them specifically i enter the boss area I get absolutely destroyed the first time. (laughs) I enter the boss area again immediately because it checkpoints before it, and I basically get destroyed again. I enter it the third time, and I finally start to recognize some of the patterns, and I slowly get destroyed by the boss. And then some point between attempt four and like attempt 10, the pattern recognition of all their (laughs) attacks clicks in. And then I start making progress. Um, And then what ends up happening is the way that I've beaten basically every boss in this game is with getting almost zero damage done to me. Because at some point, it just clicks and you go, I have every pattern memorized. I know exactly what they're going to do and what all of the cues are to do those. And then you just stop taking damage. And so it's Mm -hmm. like you either know the patterns or you don't know the patterns. And when you don't, you will absolutely die over and over again. And so the approach here, 
I got frustrated like the first day that I was playing because they felt hard. And I think right. uh, I latched onto it. It's like these bosses are hard. But now having completed the game, it's not that they're hard in the like Dark Souls sense where you have to have perfect reflexes and understand everything and react super quickly because you don't. It's just that you have to memorize the patterns and it feels like a Super Nintendo game or like an original mm. Nintendo game where it's like, oh, right. I remember this from childhood. Like you just had to learn the boss patterns. But in those games, you would lose to the boss and then you're like, well, I'm going to start the entire game over because there's no save state, you know? Right. And in this one, I die to a boss and then I respawn outside the boss room and I just try it again. And so there's something so satisfying about once you understand all of the patterns to the boss, just taking that boss apart with like almost no damage done to you whatsoever. Um, even though it's frustrating in the moment when you're trying to learn the patterns and you're just dying over and over, but it all comes down to pattern recognition. So it was, it was an interesting arc with every boss because in the canon, like the, the canon ending of my Samus, right? The stuff that actually, if you get rid of all the continues and all the things that didn't actually happen because it reloads, you know, right. she basically walked into a boss fight and killed it without taking any damage for every single boss. Cause like, that's her experience of it. That's the one that actually made it through the final game. Yeah. Um, it's just funny. Which goes into the story of Samus being that kind of just super soldier, really, who is just fantastic yeah. at what she, well, I guess super bounty hunter and just does what she does so well. But it's it's one of those things where I want people to know about it up front, because if you don't know that and you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go take on this boss and you die so fast the first time, it could be discouraging. Just know that it's all about pattern recognition. And when it clicks, it really clicks. And then you will be able to take that boss apart. That's that's good to know because there are bosses in games like, um, goodness, I can't think of the name of it, the Donkey Kong Country game, uh, Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze, where the bosses are just too long. Like, it's not that they're hard. It is just that they keep adding phases. And I'm fine with pattern recognition. I'm fine with, with games that make you do something that's challenging, but it was purely length that made it challenging more than anything else. Yeah, and most bosses in this game have two phases, um, so there is that. But, right, you know, outside of some near the end of the game, which I won't get into specifics because it's new and I don't want to spoil anything. But for the most part, the majority of bosses in this game just have two phases straight up. And so if you can learn the two phases and get through those, you will beat the boss. Um, and it doesn't take a super long time. It just takes a bunch of deaths in a row and then you'll right. get it. Yeah, um, but it was fun. Like, it's fun. Like, I almost want to I don't have the time right now, but I almost want to replay it because now I'll know the patterns and I wonder how quickly I'd be able to get through the boss fights this time. Oh yeah, that's true. You could really make that experience yours if you remember all of them well enough. Yeah. And it's fun. It's, it's like a fun kind of challenge, right? It's, it's not hard to just be hard. Like the game actually says every boss attack can be dodged. You know, like there's, there's a way to get through every boss without taking any damage at all. And, um, once you start looking for it, once you realize that's true, it becomes more approachable as long as you go in with that mindset of like, I just need to learn it and I can do it perfectly, you know? Right. Yeah. And that sounds so, really fun to me. Like, I'm I'm really tempted to pick it up, but I just, it's one of those things where it's like, should I or shouldn't I? I don't know. <laughs> I'm, 
I'm always I always do this after I talk to you about a game that I'm on the fence on, and so I'm gonna have to because I'm playing right now the Spider-Man DLC on uh, the PS5 version of the Spider-Man Remastered. Oh, so cool. I'm enjoying that a great deal, but now I'm like, should I swap to Metroid Dread for a few for a little bit? Like that sounds pretty good. Well, the other Even thing though- is the game just like hooked me, right? So this is the other thing I wanted to bring up is that I cleared the whole game. My my completion time in the game, you know, the one it displays to you mm-hmm. at the end when it's like, see you next mission. Yeah. It's always done that. Um, it said my completion time was seven hours and about 30 minutes, somewhere around there. Most okay. of the times I've seen from people are somewhere between like, I think I'm on the lower end. I've seen a lot of people with like somewhere in the eight to 12 hour range. But right. keep in mind, that doesn't really count any of the deaths that you've done and the continues oh, yeah. and the things that you didn't save. But I beat this game in three sittings and literally the last sitting was just the final boss because I got frustrated and I was too tired uh, the night yeah. before. Um, yeah, yeah, if yeah. you if you don't include that final boss battle, I beat this game in two sittings because it was so satisfying like the gameplay of it that core hook the core loop of exploring as samus in a metroid game it just like it pulled me in and it grabbed me and it brought me through it so i beat this whole game in one weekend even though i've had almost no time for gaming and i i just loved my time with it it was fantastic i'm so glad that it clicked because you you've had kind of a a, not a bad experience with stuff, but you haven't had nearly the experience this year with games as you have previous years. So I'm glad that one really, really clicked this time. Yeah. yeah, it was great. And the thing is, it's it's probably one of the best Metroidvanias I've played in, I don't know, maybe ever. Um, so at the end of the year, when I go to figure out my top five games, it's just going to come down to like, how high do I rank a Metroidvania game against other genres mm. that I like, right? Because this is such yeah. a good one. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of my experience with Metroid Dread. I'd be super interested to hear what you think if you end up picking it up. So if you do, you'll have to report back in Geekery some week. Yeah, I'm I'm really tempted. Like I'm I may look and see because I like physical games that I can I can have or sell. Like that was one of the things I did with the Metroid uh, 3DS game, The Return of Sam or Samus Returns, is that I ended up selling it once I got bored of it because I was like I'm not going to play this one again. And so I'm tempted to do that with this one just in case it's one that just doesn't click with me. But I'm I have a feeling like this one would. So I don't know. I may grab it digitally. I may not. I don't know. Cool. We'll find out. Um, yeah. That's probably it for the main topic. Don't forget, guys. Uh, we're part of a network. We have podcasts. We have streamers. We have the Geekery blog. All that and more at geekgeekmedia.com or go to geekgeekmedia.com slash subscribe to get it sent to you. We also have a digital magazine. What is the latest with that? Uh, we are working on the October issue right now. It is about cosplay and different costuming stuff and uh, costuming in games, but uh, also costuming in real life. So we're working on that and it should be out uh, very, very soon. And you can find that at patreon.com slash geek to geekcast And that brings us to Weekly Geekery, where we share what we've been geeking out about this week. You've been sick. You still sound a little under yeah. the weather. I'm glad you're starting to feel better. But what have you been up to while you've been sick and resting? Uh, um, watching a ton of TV. Uh, I I was sick the other day. I finished my article and uh, I was writing, and I I was just like, okay, I gotta I gotta not do this once I finished everything up. So I went and turned on uh, the TV, not knowing what I was gonna gonna watch or do or play. And for some reason, Jupiter's Legacy got me, and like I saw it, I was like, that's the kind of thing I'm in the mood for right now. And I can't remember. Did you see it? when it came out I, like in may i tried to watch that movie and i got like uh 20 minutes in or something and i gave up 
So uh, it's a TV show. So I don't know if you're thinking of the same thing. Oh, I'm thinking of something completely different then. I have no idea what you're talking about, I guess. This one is a TV show. Uh, it's a whole, uh, first series. It's a well, it's a series. I should say, it's a, of course, it's a TV show, but it's a series that it, Netflix did about superheroes. And there was a first. It's kind of like Watchmen, a first generation of superheroes. Uh, what it means to the be the second generation uh, following up with those uh, those heroes, and it got canceled really really quickly afterward. And I've been looking stuff up, and it's not so much that it's a bad show it's that there was a whole lot of stuff going on in the background as well as being incredibly expensive that ended up uh, just kind of causing this to to just get cut but i ended up watching all eight episodes in one day and i don't do that very often and uh, squid game was really the last one i did that with uh, and even it was over the course of a couple of days this one just kind of clicked and I've seen people talk about it being uh, really hard to watch because of the costumes and the makeup. And the reason why they say that is because there are two narratives going on. There's one in the past in the 1920s uh, and early thirties where they're uh, all of the original superheroes are young and you're finding out how they got their powers. And then you have those same actors playing them in 2020 where they're or 2021, uh, it is, did actually come out this year and they're modern times, but they've used uh, age up makeup for them. Like they've used some prosthetics and uh, and age age te- aging techniques. And so some people say that like Watchmen esque then like kind of the opposite way. Right. Where. Yeah. Yeah. But still that like different time periods um, and skipping back and forth. Yeah, there's a lot that goes along with it. And it's based on a comic book called Jupiter's Legacy or well, and the overall story is Jupiter's Legacy uh, by Mark Miller as part of his Miller World uh, uh, imprint. And so I'm actually looking to to read that because I really enjoyed this. And I do see why people are saying that the the old age makeup and aging makeup, I guess, because it's not real old age, uh, doesn't work. But it took me one episode to like realize like oh these are the same characters these are the same people okay whatever and didn't even think about it anymore and the costumes look kind of like the boys like where they don't look like mcu costumes these look like superhero costumes it's very comic booky and then it's just like oh that's what these look like it's like watching the boys for me and so i don't know what it was but the characters just I latched onto it. I wanted to know why these characters were interacting and doing the things that they do. And it was like really, really interesting because it was all based around the idea that superheroes never kill, that none of these heroes in 90 years of doing this have ever killed someone. And the supervillains have respected that and never killed anyone either. Uh, that the the whole thing is that uh, it's this comic booky idea, this comic booky notion of, oh, they're doing this for heists or, you know, you've got this arch nemesis and blah, blah, blah. But it was never to the point of taking someone's life. And then when it finally happens, when someone on one side or the other takes a life for the first time, 
it changes everything that has been established in this world. And suddenly the old versus the new generation have to figure out how to deal with it because everything starts ramping up and multiple heroes and villains are just dying left and right because of the floodgates just got opened. And it's really interesting because Watchmen is all about it being brutal from the very beginning. Like this world, like it breeds brutality. It made the world more brutal. And this one is like, we made the world a better place. And suddenly what happened? It's like, we did our best. Like, did we do this wrong? Because now this, the world is a suddenly a worse place. And it's because of how we did it previously. Like it is really, really interesting on how they got it. And they got their powers for quote, being worthy and like, it deals with a lot of stuff and I'm really, really sad that there's not another season of this because I loved it. And so I really am going in and going to read all of these comics. Like there are, there are volumes and volumes of the uh, Mark Miller comic and it's, uh, the artist is uh, Frank quietly, uh, quietly. I never can pronounce his name, but uh, he did all-star Superman and all-star Batman, a lot of stuff for DC and he's a fantastic artist. So I really look forward to, to reading all of it because the story is phenomenal. Sweet. No, I'm glad you found that and that it worked for you. That, I mean, it sounds interesting. I'll have to take a look at it. Yeah, it's, it's very good. Like I said, it took a little bit for me to get into because of the stuff that I'd heard about it. I was like, okay, and now I'm just paying attention to the makeup and the costuming and all this. And then I realized this is really no different than watching the boys that yeah. it, that's what it reminds me of in terms of the, the aesthetic that they go with. It's like, Oh, this is a slightly lower budget, the boys. And when I looked at it that way, it was fine. And then I read about it. And I was like, Oh yeah, Netflix wouldn't give them the budget they needed to do this. Like specifically they requested this and were given, uh, like they requested like $12 million an episode. Uh, we're given like $9 million an episode. And then you look and it's like the MCU TV shows and the Netflix Marvel shows were like 20 million an episode. So it's like you see the budget having to be strained in different places. Yeah. Um, well, and I'm, I'm just interested in that kind of stuff. So I'm just realizing now that the rest of your geekery is all. So it was like all comic book stuff, but like comic book adjacent movies and TV shows for you. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, I ended up part of it is because of uh, Jennifer and I've been going back and rewatching the original Spider-Man movies, uh, the Raimi ones back from like 2000. And uh, I've been wanting to see Venom for a long time and never did. And I just decided, you know, I'm going to watch Venom. Uh, I think it was like Friday night. I was like, let's watch Venom. And I loved it. Like, I loved it so much. Like, it's everything I wanted out of a Venom movie. Like, it's fantastic. And so then Jennifer had to work on Saturday and she didn't care. She liked the movie, but she didn't care anything about, you know, going and seeing it in the theater or something. So I grabbed my KN95 mask and uh, head to the theater while she's at uh, at work and sit and watch Venom 2 or Venom Let There Be Carnage. And loved it like i just love the interaction between eddie and the symbiote like they actually have a personality like tom hardy just knocks it out of the park and like i i thought it was great and i was in the mood for more of that kind of anti-hero superhero stuff and so when i was sick and saw jupiter's legacy i was like yep that is that's what i'm gonna watch and then when i finished it i went to amazon and started invincible uh based on uh eric's article on geek to geek media.com uh 
uh, talking about the first episode of it and uh, how it compares to the comics and stuff. So I'm three episodes into it. And you, you were talking about just how, how good it was as well uh, in Geekery, a few, not a few episodes back, but episodes yeah. back. No, I liked it. It was, it's, it's one of those that it's a mature show, but it's, um, it's not just leaning into like the violence of it, even though there is violence and there is like blood and gore. Like it's not a kid's show at all, but you and I have talked about this a couple times where sometimes you get a streaming show and because they can, they just go for it and they make it extra violent or extra bloody, extra gory. One of those things, or like they throw in a bunch of sex just because, Hey, we can do full frontal nudity, nudity and sex because Mm -hmm. there's no limits on streaming. And the thing I liked about invincible was that like it touches on, sexual topics just a little bit it's not really a big part of the thing at all and then um it does have violence but like all of the violence is always in service to the story and there's always a Mm -hmm. reason behind it those are the kind of like m or r-rated shows that um i appreciate on streaming is when it's like the story comes first and everything else is like follows from that and so i liked it overall i'm excited for season two um but you're so wait did you finish it or are you part way through it right now no i'm three episodes in uh i i ended up having to to stop watching it uh, yesterday instead of binging all of it and it was like really good and i'm engaged but i didn't get engaged like i did on jupiter's legacy and i don't know what the difference is really but it's fantastic like i really really enjoy it and they the animation looks just like the comics i was really impressed by the fidelity that they have between the the comic art and the animation and the tv show art i do feel like um with invincible it's one of those that gets stronger as it goes through the season because I bet. a lot of things that feel like they're disparate or one one-off or it's like oh they put them in this kind of situation because it's a superhero and that's like a stereotypical Mm -hmm. thing that we can play with um but by the end of the season it all kind of wraps back around together and everything either served a purpose or comes back in one way or another and then serves a purpose so it feels like a very cohesive season when you finish it but i do remember being about where you were like three four episodes in and not knowing if it had hooked me yet there was definitely a point it's probably like only one or two more episodes from where you are where it hooked me and then i was like okay i gotta finish this season because like i'm invested um for me this week i didn't do a whole lot outside of metroid dread i you know i mostly played that and then i've been working i've just been working but i guess i had a couple quick things so i finished squid game i know we already talked about it the other week but it was good you know like i'm glad i finished it and um it was good all the way through the end i'd be interested to see what they do with this season two i was kind of left left a little bit I didn't love the ending. I didn't love where it ended and what they chose to do right at the end of it. Um, oh, okay. Because it felt unresolved. And also, as a parent, I just completely agree, like disagree with his final decision that happens in the last like minute of the show. It makes no um, sense to me. Yeah. Um, it feels disingenuous and it's nothing horrible right i'm not i'm not being vague here because it's like a horrible thing that happens it's not that it's just a decision he makes and i'm like that that doesn't compute to me um but that being said overall it was good i like the premise i think they could do interesting things if they came back for a second season or they could completely mess it up and the second season could be horrible and it could retroactively make the first season worse so i don't know i i'd also be okay if they just leave it alone i don't think they will because netflix has said this is like one of the most watched things they've ever released and it's like one of their most they have a they released an internal metric and how they get to it called the efficiency score and so they give everything um did you read about this at all have you heard about this no i didn't read about this no i'm curious i'm I'm really interested 
Okay, so there's an efficiency score, and this is how they rate things at Netflix internally and how they make decisions about what gets greenlit for a sequel or a follow-up or like what kind of creators get more budget in the future. And it's essentially, um, they look at, they have something that's like the impact value. And what that is, that's a special Netflix formula they don't want to tell us. But it's some kind of measurement of how many people watched it, how long those people watched it, how much is it impacting culture, right? Like how how much did that show or movie or whatever get out there and have an impact and so they have been able to quantify that or they have some kind of metric where they're you know fakely quantifying it into a dollar value and so they have the impact value that's a dollar value and then they look at the budget of a show that's the other dollar value you look at the ratio between those two you have your efficiency score and apparently squid game is like one of the most if not the most efficient score that they've ever gotten in their entire system so oh wow it's like is this going to get a greenlit for a sequel or a second season probably Probably. I'd be surprised if it didn't. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I've finished the first season and I thought it was good. It was worth the time that it took to watch it. I think that the only way that it wouldn't go into a sequel, into a second season, is if the creator did like uh, Lindelof did with Watchmen and say, no, this is the story I told. And uh, until I have a full story, this is what's there. But I don't think that's going to happen. They left it open enough that there is a definitely a place for things to go and that they probably have in mind yeah so we'll see what happens with that um and then i also the other thing i've been doing a bunch just kind of like mixing it in when i have a little bit of free time and then i I was doing this a lot before i got super busy with my busy season at work so not as much the last month but the previous like month and a half or two months before that i've been playing a lot of final fantasy 14 and just like getting back into it playing with my brother um and you know kind of like reacquainting myself before the expansion comes out and i'm looking at my notes for it and i'm realizing this could probably be a main topic so i'm gonna hold on to this maybe we'll do this next time so instead i'm gonna talk about one other thing from the last (laughs) week my garage door so i'm not gonna go into all the details (laughs) because if you don't own a home none of it's that interesting but at the end of the day i had to replace my garage door opener and almost everything about the garage door except for the door itself the door was fine but it was annoying it's an expense we didn't want to have but now that we've had it and we had to pay for it and we got like a brand new garage door opener this thing is ridiculous because it's modern in the sense that it's Wi-Fi enabled. So I now have an app on my phone that tells me every time the garage door opens and closes and how long it's been open for, how long it's been closed for, the entire history of the garage door opening and closing. And I can, wow. if I'm at work and I'm like, did I forget to close the garage door? I can look at my phone and be like, oh, no, I didn't. Or if it's still open, I can hit a button on my phone and it'll close it from work. Or I could be across the country and check on it, right? Um, and... The thing that I like about this the most that I didn't realize as I was getting it um, is that I now have a really good indicator of if my kids made it out the door to get to the bus on time and if they got home from school on time because the garage yeah. door opens and closes. And I'm like, OK, good. They got out the door or OK, good. They're they're home from school. Um, so it's just a little bit of like homeowner geekery. But man, I love this new garage door opener. Like I, I didn't want to pay what I had to pay for it. But now that it's there, I, I love it. Yeah, I mean, especially when you're dealing with a family and you're, you're, you know, you're working, your wife is working, the kids are coming in at different, not different times, but the kids are coming in from school. It's absolutely something where it's uh, like, we don't even have a garage. We have the carport that I've told you about where our weather, you know, you don't have to have a garage. And so uh, like, that's something that I can't have because we just have an open air uh, patio, basically where we, we park our cars out front and it's, uh, 
really cool to have that though because it's home, it's an extra layer of home security. Like that's not something I would ever just think of as like, oh, I'm going to track my garage door opens. But if something happens, you know, that's something that you can look at and and check on your family. You can check on, you know, if somebody has broken into your house, if you're not there, like there are things that that you can check on. Like, I like that. I like that idea. Yeah. And it's not something we intended to do. It was a side effect of the fact that like everything was just shot and we had to basically redo the whole system. And it's like, oh, okay, well, here's a new one from 2021 instead of one from 30 years ago or whenever the last time they installed that old one uh the previous owner so a little bit of geekery but i i kind of really like having push notifications to my phone of my garage door <laughs> opening and closing not something okay, I now thought that's I would weird say. to me like oh, no, push notifications perfect. too is like i, I i'm like hmm, push it's, notifications it's perfect because it's like okay kids got out the door kids got home okay like that's the main thing is like did they make it to the bus right. did they get home from school and even just having that has been like peace of mind for me that i've absolutely loved so um with that i think that's it for this week uh <laughs> You guys can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com, or you can reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. We also have great discussions on Slack and Discord, and you can go to geek2geekmedia.com for invite links. Uh, while you're there, make sure you check out all the other content on the network. There are links to blogs and video game reviews, our digital magazine, and just so many different podcasts that we have on there. Check it out. I blog at agreenmushroom.com, and you can find me at grnmushroom. That's Green Mushroom without the E's on Twitter. I'm also on the Disney Forever podcast, where we watch and react to a different Disney movie every week. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beej. That's Beej with two E's. And I also co-host the Dragon Quest FM podcast, a show about the Square Enix RPG series. We've been Void and Beej with your geek to geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Bye, everybody. When toxic culture has you down. When you're just looking to laugh and have fun. Kick back and enjoy watching a video game. Or just make some new friends. It's time to visit the geek to geek Media Network. A community of podcasters, streamers, and bloggers. Well, more of a family than a community. All dedicated to geeking out about the things we love. Things like... Video games. Star Wars. Beep, 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 beep. Comics. Movies, K-pop, Disney Plus, Keanu. Keanu Reeves, new, or whatever our community decides is the next best thing. That's right. We have a great online community on Slack and Discord where we chat about our weekly geekery with listeners and viewers. And each other. Yep. And each other in real time. And we can't wait for you to join us. So come check us out at geek2geekmedia.com. And escape toxic fandom for something much more... Keanu? Yes. Keanu.